what is up what is up what is up welcome back to another episode of the coast to coast podcast here on insidecarolina.com brought to you by johnny t-shirt everyone everybody everything every soul every sinner every saint everybody who has decided to join us on this episode of the coast to coast podcast i'm joey powell for inside carolina with me as always uh the casey and jojo uh, of my life all my life sherelle mcmillan and sean moran sherelle how are you i'm good ready to talk about a, a interesting weekend for unc Interesting. The man is already throwing out uh, understatements of the year. Sean, how are you? <laughs> I'm doing good. I think my body's finally calmed down from uh, from that uh, Saturday morning. Your body was not ready for what happened yesterday afternoon as we record this on a Sunday. Uh, Tar Heels knocked off number one Baylor after uh, absolutely thrashing the nine seed Marquette on Thursday night. Guys, there's a lot to talk about today. I'm probably going to miss some stuff because there's just so much there and so much on the bone. I'm going to try to get to as much as we can, but uh, it's just, I I didn't think we would be talking about a sweet 16 North Carolina team uh, a month ago. And and I know it's become, uh, you know, it's become trite and it's something that you've heard a thousand times if you listen to the show, but I can't say enough about how, I guess, unexpected this journey has been. Sherelle, can you think of anything more satisfying for Tar Heel fans than, than what they're watching right now with Hubert Davis's first team? No, I, I think, um, you know, we always talk about paths not being linear and, and things don't go exactly the way you think they should. But I think at the beginning of the season, the end result people will be fine with. Again, you know, my favorite saying, the what I think people are fine with because they're in the Sweet 16. They won a game that no one thought they would ever win at Cameron. Um, they had a great stretch to close out the season. It, it is the profile very similarly, similarly to some of Roe Williams' good teams in that they struggle finding their identity for the first few months. And then usually there's a galvanizing moment at some point towards the end of January, early February. And from then on, uh, they're kind of off to the races. And Again, outside of the Pittsburgh game, that's been the story for this UNC team. Um, it's just a tremendous job by the Hubert Davis and his staff. Um, <clears throat> Jay Billis was on uh, game day today, and he was just basically saying that um, Hubert Davis stuck with it, what he wanted to do, how he wanted to do things, and just it took some time for it to really gel. And I think, you know, between these last two games in the uh, NCAA tournament, you're seeing the offense that was promised. You're seeing the skill sets that were promised, you're seeing all those, all this stuff that we heard from, I guess it was April 5th last year um, until the season started and through the season, the spacing and the shooting and the movement and the passion and the toughness, like everything that Hubert Davis has preached for the last year was on display um, more so in the Baylor game, but all throughout the Marquette game as well. Um, and I think uh, I'll let John go, but I think the Baylor game to me, you saw everything possible from this UNC team, everything it's done was in that one game. There was just some some breathtakingly awesome offensive play, to be frank, um, for, for stretches. When they were up, they got up 23, and you're just like, this is really going to happen, huh? <laughs> I think their win percentage before the ejection was at like 98.6% or something yeah. like that. Um, you saw mind-numbing turnovers and just a, a lack of, of, of IQ at some points where guys are dribbling around and not sure what they're doing. Um, you saw them lose unexpectedly two players who they thought would be in the lineup mm-hmm. um, just out of nowhere. Didn't see it coming, just kind of happened, and they had to pick up and move forward. So everything that they've been through, the adversity you know, through the season and, and losing people and losing huge leads and um, getting blown out, all that stuff came to fruition and happened multiple times in one game against the defending champion. So to me, that was the biggest story was that everything they had done previous to this prepared them for that game. Um, well, we can wrap the show now. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> but a great great opening answer, Sherelle. Um, Sean, I, I want to I ask this to you. You're looking at a North Carolina team that is now 
26 and 9. Uh, they have won 16 of 19 games. They've won eight of nine games. Uh, Sherelle mentioned, you know, it was a very common trait of Roy Williams teams that they would kind of have this moment of, of galvanizing force that will bring them together. And I think Dean Smith's teams were very much like that too, where they would kind of peak, uh, start peaking in March. I don't know that anybody saw this coming to where this team would be peaking not only in March, but would be peaking in the tournament. We saw against Marquette and Baylor a team that was really good offensively and really good defensively. Is there something in your mind, whether it's schematically, or is there something in your mind that's just jumped out at you that's changed in that last, say, two to three weeks that's really got them just grinding at such a high level? I think if anybody saw it, we got to give Sherell credit because he's always been talking about the talent on this team, which, you know, I think, you know, if, if you're a Baylor entering that game, you probably felt like you had the short end of the stick playing sure you're playing an eight seed, but that will, that's not an eight seed out there in terms of when they're, when they're clicking. Um, you mentioned eight out of eight out of nine and, you know, but, but in those eight out of nine, you had the highs of playing extremely, extremely well against, against Duke. Uh, but then you had the lows of, uh, you know, two, even with the blowout of UVA, but two very subpar offensive performances in the ACC tournament. So, once again, we've talked about volatility with this team and when they're clicking, you know, they're, they're rolling, they're hard to beat, but at times they can go cold and give up open shots. But to that extent, I think one, it's, you've seen just the, the joy, I think the joy of the team definitely changed from, from earlier in the year of, you know, it, they didn't really look like they enjoyed playing with each other early on. And it was almost kind of a lot of, you know, selfish basketball at times, but I think now you're seeing everybody has started to kind of understand their role. Um, and within those roles, they've all gotten a lot better as time has gone on. Um, and, and now I think you really have five guys playing out there together and playing for each other. And I think that's been one of the keys to the success we've seen. Even watching, you know, yesterday after Caleb Love was disqualified with his fifth foul, Seeing him on the sidelines, you know, I have to throw this out because he's been so maligned by listeners of, of, of this show and, and folks on the Inside Carolina message boards. He's been so maligned as maybe a, a selfish player. And I don't think you can watch yesterday's action down the stretch after he fouled out and say that he was being selfish. Because I saw a kid that was absolutely just enraptured by what was going on on the court and was so thrilled for what was happening for his teammates and I saw a kid just like anybody else that did not want to go home. Uh, and it was really refreshing to see. Uh, Sean, I'm going to stay with you here. I'm also going to let Sherelle talk about it because I know this is something that, that he is, has been very vocal about in the last 48 hours. But the knock on this team, and I keep going back to the pit game because to Sherelle's point, I think that was the point of, of galvanizing for this, for this group. The pit game, Jason Capel said on the court after the game in earshot of a lot of folks that, this North Carolina team did not want to play tough. We saw against Marquette, as we teed up last week, that Marquette was very much a team that was going to try to bully you. It's very typical of, of Shaka Smart squads and how they like to play. And then Baylor, uh, to Tommy's point from the Inside Carolina Live show on Saturday, he talked about Baylor kind of being the varsity version of Marquette in a sense that they both want to mix it up. They're both really athletic. They're going to get up inside of you. and They're going to be really physical. I don't think you can say this team lacks toughness anymore. Sean, have, have you ever seen a team over the course of a month, and if you want to use the whole season, that's fine, a season that has gone from what looked very charmony soft to now I see a, a bunch of guys out there that are playing like dudes with confidence, and they're not going to be punked by anybody. I mean, I think in over – over the long term, UNC has had that rep reputation, you know, somewhat deservedly, but but also I think it's been, so, you know, because when you think of UNC, you think of a team playing up tempo, a team that can, you know, outscore people, but, you know, they've been one of the top offensive rebounding teams over the last 15, 20 years, obviously fell off a little bit this year, but they're still pretty good. And, you know, you're not going to be soft and, and be, you know, to be one of the top offensive rebounding teams, but for this one, I mean, you also look at the guys and outside of Armando, you don't have the physical, you never really have the physical enforcer type of, of look. So I think that also plays into it, but 
Yeah, I mean, I think that's that has been the knock, and I think teams and probably going into the game, you know, the coaches are telling them, hey, you know, you can out physical these guys, you know, or, or even going back to that Kentucky game of, hey, once these guys get frustrated, they're 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 done. Um, you know, they're they're not talking to each other, etc. I think you know they've they've shown the willingness to to fight back, be physical, um, you know, get up in you defensively. Now with, you know, I also think in terms of how we were just talking about roles going back, going to leaky black um, defensively. He's always had that reputation, but I, I think he's really taken off since that Wake Forest loss um, in terms of, of his ability. And I think, you know, that goes to shutting down a wing player. You have Armando down low getting the, the offense, you know, offensive defensive rebounds. And then you have the guards, even though they're not the biggest guys, you have them playing hard and, and playing tough. So I think it's, it has been nice to see. I think some of it, is more a reputation that might not be deserved, but at the same time, that has been the focus probably for each and every team going into these UNC games. All right, Sherelle, I'm basically just going to hand you a hot mic and let you go at it, but uh, I want to let you talk about the toughness a little bit too. And if you want to come at this from a personality standpoint, I think that might be something our, our listeners would like to hear. Unmute yourself. Sorry, for sure. Uh, some third issues. Um, I, for me, you know, even though the Pittsburgh game, you know, we, Jason Cable said that stuff and um, it got out and everybody heard it. I think the Louisville game at Louisville, to me, even though they lost the next game against Duke and sub subsequently um, lost a home game to Pittsburgh, to me, that's when the toughness kind of turned. Uh, because if you remember, they had a big lead in that game and they started letting it go. It was very chippy. Um, mm -hmm. You know, the guys were, were fouling Baycott and guys were hitting the floor and there were some questionable calls. It, it was not dissimilar to the Baylor game, honestly. The, the lead wasn't quite as big and the stakes obviously weren't as high. But for me, that's that's when you, you start to see some growth um, toughness wise. And I think um, what we saw from UNC against Marquette and then uh, the last 10 minutes against Baylor and the last five minutes um, or overtime against Baylor, that is the definition of mental toughness. We have talked about what is toughness, what is mental toughness for years on Inside Carolina podcasts and message boards and stories and everything. And if I could distill that it, mental toughness into like one setting, it is dominating for 28 minutes, the defending champion. I mean, dominating. It wasn't, wasn't <laughs> even close about who the better team was for the first 20 minutes. Not a question in the world. If you took somebody who'd never seen basketball, they would say, oh, the, the team in blue obviously is a better team and mm -hmm. the team in white is just happy to be there. Um, that's what you would have seen. Um, from then on to potentially lose or have the biggest collapse in NCAA history, um, making just questionable plays over and over again. Obviously there were some other factors at play. Um, don't really want to talk about that because it's been covered. Uh, <laughs> but to pick yourself up off the mat, when you've just been given a two-piece by Mike Tyson, essentially, um, and blowing that lead to come out, Dontre Styles. We've talked about all season. It's been why isn't Styles getting more playing time? Is he happy? Why isn't he getting more playing time? Is he gonna be ready? Got to develop the bench. Well, he played a ton of minutes. He had two really big plays to, frankly, keep UNC from losing in regulation. Mm -hmm. The steal on Sohan, um, and then he had a layup to kind of help stop the bleeding during that run. Um, but he comes in and, and knocks down a three just like it's in practice, like he's in Kinston, you know, playing against Leesville Road or whoever. Um, that's mental toughness, the ability to put everything else out of your mind, the ability to do what you've practiced over and over that you repped tons and, you know, hundreds and, and thousands of times. That's what mental toughness is. It is um, if you're Armando Baycott, after you missed free throw, seemingly after free throw, is going back up to the line and eventually the two he hit. I don't think Baylor tied it after that. No, I think he got it to 86, 84. Um, they come back and eventually get a free throw. And then uh, Leaky Black gets the, uh, Baycott gets the assist to Leaky Black for the layup and they're up three. And that's as close as it was the rest mm -hmm. of the game. So um, Armando Baycott essentially won the game in the free throw line, even though you could say they didn't win the game in regulation because he um, didn't, you know, hit shots at the free throw line. So just, just opposing all that stuff from regulation to overtime, to me, you see what Hubert Davis has seen with his team. You see what he's been trying to instill in them. And that is the real definition of mental toughness. Not this fake guy, 
you know, t- fake tough guy stuff of knocking people down and screaming and doing cartwheels and all that. That's not mental toughness. Mental toughness is what you saw from North Carolina in overtime and parts of the second half. Yeah, uh, you can't mess with the Sohan yesterday was was an entirely different show on his own. You know, Eve, Cisco, Sade, whatever you want to call him. He, he was quite the detractor. And I think your point about mental toughness, right? The Tar Heels not only kind of got physically back with him, um, but they they weren't going to be lured into the kind of the the, chi- the the chippiness and the mind games. Like, you know, Dennis Rodman, one of the things that made him such a great rebounder was he would annoy you and to the point you would physically get out of your game, and that's how he'd start rebounding. And I saw a lot of that yesterday with Sohan, and I like that you pointed out the mental toughness and not being suckered into it, not being drawn back into it. And and shouts out to him. Uh, and shouts out to Matt Morgan who pointed this out, but he had a follow dunk to tie the game, missed it, and that was it. Yep. So game over. Yeah. Yeah. Um, you talked about Dontres Styles there, and I was going to get to this a little bit later in the show, but it feels about right right now. The kid had 15 points over the two games that he played, uh, and and had extended minutes. Looked and, and granted, they were only fleeting looks against you know in the Marquette game, but uh, three for three from the field. Uh, I think he fin- finished with, you know, six rebounds or so against Marquette. And then, of course, yesterday when he plays extended minutes against Baylor, uh, four for seven from the field, another three rebounds. Um, his physicality and athleticism were much more on display against Baylor because, again, I think you saw more of it. Sherelle, what does it mean for a kid like that to not play and not play and not play and then get thrust into – the most pressure pack of situations against the guys that are carrying the, the, the title belts. How, how do you explain what, what kind of a shift that is for a kid of his age as a true freshman? Well, I think it says that the coaches are preparing him in practice for every situation possible. I think that's number one. I think two, I think it says a lot about him about his patience because um, it's very easy to lose, especially when you're not playing very easy to lose that edge because it's mm-hmm. like, well, I'm going to get a, you know, DNP coach's decision anyway. So why do I particularly need to be ready on this particular day? So I think that's two. And then three, um, we just talked about mental toughness. I think it shows the kind of mental toughness he has one. I mean, <laughs> a freshman, you're 18 years old. You've dreamed of playing at Carolina your whole life. The season hasn't quite gone the way you wanted as far as minutes you get thrust into a game where they lose the biggest lead in NCAA tournament history. You're playing the most minutes you've played all season. And in the first position over time, you just, you thought about a three. You're like, you know what? I'm just going to take this three. Bucket. Right. Like, so it, it's confidence, it's preparation, it's toughness. Um, it's, it's repping things in the gym over and over. It's all those things combined. And um, not to go too far, but we've seen before what a huge shot in March, how that can thrust someone um, into uh, a, just a higher realm of basketball moving forward in their career. Um, it's happened multiple times, not just at UNC. Uh, obviously, people know who I'm talking about at UNC. Um, <laughs> I was going to lead you there if you didn't go, and, and I love the fact that you're already taking us there. Go ahead, Luke Bay. Yeah, it's happened multiple times, and who's to say it won't happen with Styles? I mean, that is that was uh, – to me, there's two shots in the game – okay i take it back there's like 12 shots in the game that are super important but i think of two in particular um Carolina was down four nothing and they have a possession that was going absolutely nowhere and rj <laughs> davis you know gets a, a cross-court pass from brady manning and sinks a three that settled everything down because who knows they go down to court make a three at seven nothing you know maybe things start to go bad again so that that was a huge shot and then I, personally, I don't think there's any way they win that game if they get down in overtime. I just mm-hmm. think there's no way. Um, so to hit that shot, that was, to me, the probably the biggest shot of the game um, and obviously the biggest shot of his career thus far. So we'll see what happens moving forward. If you remember, mm-hmm. um, uh, well, you, we'll see what, ha- what happens moving forward. Let's just put, leave it there. I, uh, I said on Twitter going into overtime, and I'm happily going to own this, I will sip tea and wear the dunce crown. Uh, for saying that that team that was on the floor wasn't going to beat their defending champs because it just didn't feel that way. Nothing about it felt like they would be able to hold on. And to your point, Styles having the gumption to take it and then to use a Royism, Royism the gumption to make that corner three to put them up by three. Uh, it's just, it, it's it's so... And if you recall, he's a player. What's, what Sean, what was the number one question mark about Styles entering college? 
Can he shoot from the outside? Mm-hmm. I mean, that, that takes, as my old man would say, that took some brass ones. And he absolutely, he absolutely showed them. Sean, what do you think Tar Heel fans can expect about Dontrez Styles' game moving forward? Because, like Sherelle said, you've seen guys like this use these moments as springboards to where they kind of just blow the barn doors open and here they come, and this is who they are as a player, as a person, and, and, and as an athlete. What do you see now that, that Styles has kind of had a little bit of that limelight? What do you see his, his future potentially being as a player? I mean, I think, I think it goes to probably, you know, probably what we talked about in the preseason, that, that there could definitely be uh, high potential for him given that athleticism. Um, and, you know, what we just talked about, the weakness coming in was his three-point shooting. Uh, he improved a lot his senior year where he was, he was making shots, but it, it's a lot different when you're getting, you know, three to five threes a game. Uh, and now you might get, you might get one. Um, I think in that game, he had two, I think two threes before that. And both of those looked online. Yeah. Uh, one of them was a perfect, uh, obviously opportunity for Armando um, offensive rebounding wise, but they looked online, uh, which I, I think, you know, going back to Larry Bird, that's how you kind of measure the sign of a good shooter is, is how do they miss? Um, so I know it was talked about in the post game, he was two of 12 coming in, but his threes have looked, looked decent. Um, before I get to the, the question. So, you know, I think we've been accustomed to seeing puff, you know, being the, the guy off the bench first and foremost. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I think with both Marquette and Baylor, you had two athletic, physical long teams and obviously the coaching staff realized that and said hey Dontrez is going to be a better matchup offensively and defensively and he showed that with some key rebounds just being able to match and um you know all of a sudden he's the most athletic guy in the court uh versus somebody on Marquette or Baylor now going to UCLA that could potentially flip back where maybe Puff is is more apt uh to be the one getting more minutes but I think in the long term, you know, it, it just gives him, should give him the confidence uh, and can show kind of, you know, what he can do, you know, maybe in, in more, you know, in a more expansive, expansive role. But I think it definitely provides a lot of confidence and, and ability to do that all the time next year. Well, something that gives me a lot of confidence and should give you guys a lot of confidence is the ability of Johnny T-shirt to provide what you need with regard to your Tar Heel gear. I think that's, that goes, goes without saying Johnny t-shirt is never going to, to be you know, distracted by a huge comeback. Johnny t-shirts never going to uh, lose their inventory to refereeing. Johnny t-shirts always going to maintain a steady uh, provision of goods and Tar Heel paraphernalia to inside Carolina subscribers and Tar Heel fans around the globe. Check them out. Johnny t-shirt.com right there on East Franklin street. Weather's warming up. Uh, if you're in the Chapel Hill area, take a stroll down Franklin, stop in Johnny T-shirt, get some gear, get some new gear. Uh, inside Carolina, premium subscribers know that you get the extra 10% off top of their already amazing prices. Great selection, johnnytshirt.com. You can see all of that. And if, hey, if you want to get a T-shirt to commemorate this Tar Heel run to the Sweet 16, Johnny T-shirt's got you. johnnytshirt.com, we appreciate them. They're big, big supporters of Inside Carolina. You know, alumni-owned, family-operated. We're big fans of theirs. Check them out. Take a quick break. Let the national guys come in here and run some ads. We'll be right back to talk a little more, break down some stats, and, and talk about what's next for this Tar Heel team. Who knows? We'll probably keep talking about this past week because there's just so much, on, so much meat left on the bone. Stick around to the Inside Carolina's Coast to Coast podcast. It's only a kick. A jump. A block. It's only a serve. It's only a tackle, a run. It's only for the fans. After all, it's only pressure. You got this. Adidas. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. 
Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. All right, guys, I want to throw some stats at you before we continue our discussion of North Carolina's absolute uh, hashtag beat them down of Marquette on Thursday and then the epic, epic game against Baylor uh, on Saturday to get to the Sweet 16. Uh, two games played in, in the Dallas-Fort Worth Dickies Arena. Shout out to Dickies, outfitting Dr. Dre and Snoop Dogg uh, videos since 1993. Uh, 51 assists on 62 field goals. That is absolutely just NC-17 rated ball movement and sharing of the basketball, guys. Uh, Sean, you've talked at nauseum about how great of a, a passer um, Brady Manick is. Sherelle mentioned that possession to, that got NC's first, UNC's first basket against Baylor where you know they did 30 seconds of pounding the ball into the ground, and then he has an absolute amazing cross-court pass to R.J. Davis who catches it in rhythm, hits a three as the shot clock expires. Do you think that a guy like Manic is, is that influential to how this team shares the ball, or is it, just, is it just like everything else? They're finally gelling and getting comfortable with sharing with each other because, you know, 51 uh, assists on 62 field goals from two games, much less against NCAA tournament competition, is absurd. H- how do you feel like they've gotten to the point where they're just this good moving the ball around? I think going back to late November, early December, every Sunday we were on here just talking, you know, Brady Manick, great passer. He really moves the ball very well. The rest of the team, <laughs> not so much. Um, so I think, you know, it was almost kind of him bringing everybody along. Uh, you know, first it was really, you know, the two-man game with him and Armando getting great passes um, and, and very quick passes as well. And then I think little by little, as the guards have matured, uh, you know, as Leaky has been more aggressive, as Armando uh, has looked to, you know, if, if he's getting double teamed, I think you've you've seen once again the full team kind of start trusting each other and seeing what can happen when, you know, if they're if they're driving, you know, hey, let's let's look at if somebody's cutting or, or somebody's out at the three. Now that you, for the most part, have options, um, you know, it's not like last year where. You don't really have, you might have one option, Kerwin Walton uh, outside the three point line. So you have options cutting out at the line and then Armando down low. So I, I really think it goes to Brady kind of doing what he was doing early on and everybody just once again getting more confident, more mature. And I mean, even Caleb Love, he'll still fire up the occasional, you know, uh, so, several dribbles, kind of a, a, a bad three, but. You know, even him, for, even Caleb, for the most part, he's been a lot better um, and, and looking to penetrate and, and kick and dish, which, uh, you know, he's had a lot of nice passes the past uh, past few weeks. Sherelle, I want to I want to keep you here too. sharing of the ball, I feel like brings out personality of this team. And I, w- I don't want to go full Brene Brown, Dr. Phil and everybody, but I do think, you know, sharing is caring. And when you do have a team that's sharing the ball as well as this team is right now. It's allowing everybody to participate and everybody to benefit, whether it means getting their own scores in the, in the scoring column, whether it means, you know, feeling more involved. How do you see these personalities and, and these players' talents coming out now that they've learned how to just be more uh, together on offense? Well, I think it starts with your lead guard. And we've gone this far in the podcast and we haven't mentioned R.J. Davis, which is a bit of a surprise. <laughs> I, mean, I guess we mentioned him a couple of times with the shooting, but as a lead guard, what he's done – I would say over the last you know month and change, yeah, there's there's a couple of games where he didn't um, play particularly well, but for the most for the most part, he has helped transform this offense because he's getting the ball moving initially, and he's also pushing tempo. So between those two things, it makes it a lot easier. As we've talked about so many times, it makes it a lot easier to beat rotations when you're just a step ahead. And whether that's from the fast break, whether that's from um, driving and dishing, or whether that's from uh, driving yourself and, and finding people for pocket passes like Baycott. Uh, there was one just really exquisite play yesterday from the uh, right wing. Uh, Davis has a, a pick and roll. He, he sets up a pick and roll with Baycott. He goes behind his back, mm-hmm. uh, draws three defenders from Baylor, throws a little skip pass um, from his right hand kind of between the two defenders, and Baycott gets an easy layup. And just his ability in pick and roll over the last month has been – really, I think, a revelation for North Carolina and the way they play. And to me, that, as much as anything, is why the ball is, is humming and moving so much because 
when Baycott rolls like that, you know, he's, he's rolling to the rim, but there's been several times where he stopped, pivoted, found Manic in the corner, wide open for a three. And it, it, it really is funny because it, I wish we could go back and listen to some of the stuff we said over the summer, because <laughs> at, at the beginning of the year, we were totally off, completely wrong. Yeah. But I think what we're seeing now is what was expected because, you, you know, you have the shooters on the floor spacing, you have Baycott rolling, you have the, the middle court pick and rolls that they're running a lot. And uh, it's just, it's fantastic to watch. And I think a lot of it, you know, you, you can give a lot of it to Brady Manick. I, I really, you, you have to give some of it to everybody. Yeah. Um, honestly, it's, it's hard to pinpoint one person, but I, I think I would start with RJ Davis because he's become a willing passer. And over the last couple of years, with Davis and Love, that's been kind of the question mark was, can they be lead guards who facilitate um, and put their offense second? And I think they've both shown over the last month or so that they can do it. But I think Davis has just done it at a different level. And it's also freed up Caleb to be more of a just a pure scorer, which I think, you know, for this particular team at this particular time is what they need. And when that starts going, it starts going downhill because, again, you free up room for Baycott. Now, even though Leakey hasn't made one in, in a couple of games, teams still have to think about it with him over there. Mm-hmm. And even if they do lay off of him, he's done a great job of being able to um, create the extra pass, which gets somebody open eventually. So um, it, I think it's all that. But I would say R.J. Davis is the catalyst. I, I would give some credit to Manic as well. But I, I keep going back to Davis because, you know, first game, career high in assists, 12 assists. The, mm-hmm. I think the first time. One turnover. So, yeah, yeah, 12 assists, one turnover. The last time I remember somebody having, you know, at least 10 assists at Carolina, I think it was Theo Pinson, which is like five years ago, or like a, a Miami game or something like that. So that hasn't been really a part of the offense for the last few years. So that that's one. And then um, he comes back the next game and is just on fire and sets a career high in scoring. So I, I, we might have to get Ives on this, Brian Ives, who works for ESPN, but – has there been a player who set career highs in two different categories in back-to-back games? Like, it just feels like that doesn't happen. It, it definitely does. It's not something that's happened in, in the recent past for Tar Heel fans and folks that follow this program. And, and as you said, against Baylor, he was absolutely just a, a whole bucket. Uh, he was confident. He was stepping in. When I knew he was on fire was UNC had one of their first transition opportunities of the day, and they get the ball off of a steal, get it up court, and somebody hits him and he pulls up at the three-point line, uh, free throw line extended, uh, and just drains it. And it's just one of those things where, like, okay, he's he's absolutely feeling himself. And it's fun to watch any player when they get into a zone like that. But I don't know why. I think it's I think it's a little more fun watching a, a kid like R.J. Davis, who is uh, who is absolutely deserving of Roy Williams's tough little nut moniker. Uh, Sean, I got I got some more stats for you. I know you're a you're an efficiency guy. This Tar Heel squad helped both held both Marquette and Baylor to under one point per possession in both games. And Baylor, is as much as they were known for uh, driving the ball, they, they haven't been a great shooting team, but they absolutely could score from anywhere on the floor. Marquette, okay, I get that. But this is a Tar Heel team that sneakily has brought their defense to play on multiple occasions here recently. And when you see a team that's able to hold their opponents to under one point per possession – especially against Baylor, who had 81 field goal attempts, which is just <laughs> ridiculous. Um, Sean, what does that say for where this team is defensively or at least with their confidence in playing defense? Yeah, I mean, I think, you know, going into Marquette, we were talking about matchups. And when you have a guy that can, you know, either take away that stretch four or the the, the wing like Leakey can, I mean, that that just helps everybody else. But I think – you know, that we were just talking about the guards defensively. Um, I, I thought they have played extremely well defensively, especially Caleb. Love. I mean, both well, we'll start with Caleb love, but I thought he did a very good job on Akinjo, especially early on where, uh, you know, he was fighting through, through the screens. Uh, you know, if, if anything, it was, it was kind of the, you know, deep twos, mid range twos that he was taking. And he, you know, he, he finished with, with a lot of points, but he struggled shooting wise, I think five of 13 from two, one for seven from three or something like that. Um, and then obviously Flagler got going, but I thought RJ, you could definitely see how much energy he was exerting defensively. So, you know, I think if, if those two, if the guards can keep it up and once again, you have, you have leaky and then Manic is the guy that everybody's wanted to pick on uh, during the regular season of, 
starting the game going right at him. And he's been able to, to hold his own as well. Um, and that'll be another significant factor um, against UCLA is how do, how does, you know, how, how do those matchups go? But I think in general, everybody's kind of been locked in uh, and with that been competing pretty hard and, and have a good game plan from the coaching staff. Yeah. You were spot on about uh, Akinjo's ability. Um, yeah. He did finish with 20 points, but it was on six of 20 field goals and one of seven from beyond the arc, which you'll take that every day. And you're exactly right. There were some shots that he had early in the game that were very well contested twos. And I think North Carolina's staff is probably more than, more than willing to give those shots up uh, just because the, the long-term percentages aren't there. And I think one other quick thing, because uh, I, I know this was something I said at the beginning of the year was UNC doesn't really have a shot blocking presence. Um, but I think Armando has definitely gotten better at that. And when the guard, especially, I mean, Akinjo is a small, a small guy. So when he was funneled into the paint, and Armando was there, you had to feel pretty good that it was at least going to be be altered. Uh, you know, UNC ran into trouble where Armando was out of the paint and now they had kind of a clear, clear path to the rim. But he's been doing a really good job as kind of that paint protector if he if he is there. Um, and, and kind of I think it helps everybody play a little little tougher, knowing that hey, if this guy blows by me, you know, that's not the goal. But if he does, you know, there's somebody that can that can help uh, on the back end. Sherelle, I'm sitting here looking at, um, you know, some of the stats in this game. I think judging everybody's reaction from yesterday, when North Carolina started having the problems with Baylor's pressure, everybody thinks, well, God, why can't North Carolina learn to, to, to break a press? And I see even saw some national writers who clearly, it was one of those situations where you can tell they just stopped on the game, hadn't watched North Carolina all year. Um, but all of a sudden said, well, you know, Hubert Davis needs to focus on breaking a press before they, before whatever their next game is and just do it for all five practices the whole time. And the reality is I believe North Carolina absolutely missed the veteran presence of Brady Manick, but more so they were lacking having that second ball handler. Talk about, in your opinion, how Caleb loves contribution as a ball handler and North Carolina's decision to run a two ball handler offense was really, really hurt yesterday when Caleb picked up that fifth foul. Yeah. I mean, there's, there's two players on the team really who <clears throat> I guess three on the team who you feel kind of confident in with the ball in their hands, um, bringing the ball up the court. And that's Leaky, RJ and Caleb. Mm -hmm. And Leaky was doing a lot of the inbounding. So that took him away for stretches. There were some decisions that I think he, he would have back. I think there was some uh, Clemson from a couple of years ago, flashbacks there. And that stuff is, um, that stuff stays around for a while. I, I think that's going to be a big confidence booster for Leaky moving forward too, because it was a very similar situation and um, they did just enough to get by. So <clears throat> just keep that in the back of your mind. If UCLA uh, decides to press, I don't think they are really a pressing team. So there's not really anything to worry about there. Um, but back to the original point, you know, Caleb, for all his faults that, that people uh, talk about him as, as far as what he can do, and when he can't do, he's a guy who has the ball in his hands an awful lot. And pretty much he was gone within two to three minutes of Baylor's run starting. Mm -hmm. So you're going basically seven minutes um, of that kind of environment, that kind of game without, you know, a guy who was at time is at times your primary ball handler. Mm -hmm. I think any team would have had trouble with that. I don't think that's really a Hubert Davis thing because you don't want to also bring in, you know, another guard who maybe. Um, isn't the best ball handler or who isn't ready for that situation. You kind of go with the guys who got you there. And I think that's what Hubert Davis did, but um, I think it was, it was, it was a huge deal. And like you said, we, we've been talking for the last three months about how great of a passer Brady Manick is. You would think that in just a couple of those situations, he'd have been able to be an outlet and he wouldn't have been able to find somebody streaking for a basket or just been someone who's there to get the ball in bounds. And really you're talking about one or two possessions and it doesn't even go into overtime. Mm -hmm. um, so, I mean, just, it, it was a huge deal. There's no other way around it, but again, I want to present a set of facts since <laughs> we're talking about this. Let's just, let's just really, really consider everything. So the game is in Fort Worth, Texas. I know Texas is a huge state, but it's much easier, easier to get to Fort Worth, Fort Worth from Waco than it is Chapel Hill. Do so you got that? Baylor is the number one seed. They played really well. They are the defending national champions. They destroy their first round opponent. Um, they're starting to get their mojo back a little bit, it seems like. Uh, North Carolina 
was up by 25. Uh, again, the biggest lead that almost wasn't in NCAA tournament history. They lose. They, they don't play. They play six and a half guys pretty much per game. So you lose Brady Manick, who had 26 points at the time and was destroying people. You lose Caleb Love. <laughs> it wasn't his best game, but he's a guy again who has the ball in his hands. And you insert uh, Dontre Styles, Puff Johnson, Justin McCoy for them. And those guys have played, but they haven't played a lot. Uh, Baylor is pressing. They're athletic. They're strong. Um, Armando Baycott picks up a fourth foul. Um, every single thing in the world is going wrong and they still found a way to win in that environment. And I, I just, that cannot be ever, 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 ever overstated that they lost, they won the game in dominant fashion, had some calls go against them and essentially lost the game and then came back and won the game again. Um, RJ Davis played 45 minutes in that environment <laughs> against that press as the primary weapon on offense. Um, so it's just, it's mind boggling when you look at the stats and you say Carolina won that game. Like you said, Baylor took 24 more shots, 24 more field goal attempts than UNC mm -hmm. and Carolina still found a way to win. Um, it's just pretty phenomenal. I, uh, I noticed after the game, you know, the guys that were on the floor for basically the last 20 minutes of game action, uh, two of them, as you just mentioned, Dontre Styles and Justin McCoy, and I know Justin McCoy looked still a little uncomfortable at times, but his face and body language coming out of every time out projected a kid that was confident and projected a kid that was not just you know going to be blinded by the pressure and, and melted by the spotlight. And, and whether you want to you know belabor what he contributed or or whatever, if, if you want to just bang on the kid, whatever that you're gonna you're just gonna be an angry person banging on a kid. But I think he absolutely. Um, you know, he did what the team needed him to do. Styles did what the team needed him to do. And, and you're called upon and you, you you win the game. And I think that's just, it's really fun uh, for people around this program to see things like that happen, especially when you know how much work they've put in over the course of the year. All right. Uh, Sean, I'm going to come to you now. We're going to talk a little bit about uh, UCLA. Uh, actually, no, wait, I don't want to talk about UCLA yet. We're going to talk about UCLA kind of in the context of what I see as a very confident basketball team right now. Um, this team, over the course of building their lead against Marquette and then finishing the game against Marquette, uh, and then building their lead against Baylor, and then regaining at the end of the game once they kind of put it away those last three possessions in overtime. Sean, I see a very confident and talented basketball team. Do you see um, – are there things that you see that right now uh, – in, in kind of the vein of confidence that you think are, 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 are unique to, to this moment and, and what we didn't see earlier this season, or if it's a returning player, something we hadn't seen before? I mean, I, I definitely think overall that, you know, they're, they're playing extremely confident. Uh, you know, me being kind of the pessimistic one on the, on the podcast last, last week, we were talking going into the tournament, uh, you know, four out of their seven games, they've been, I think, below 30% from, from three. Um, and we, we've seen the, the volatility and once again, you know, they were great this weekend, uh, but it's, it's a completely different, different, you know, ball game and style style of play. Uh, cause I think the styles of play definitely suited UNC well, as we talked about last week, but once again, I think from a player and coaching perspective, you know, they're going, you know, it's not like they're going in saying, Hey, we're, we're an HC just happy to be here. I think they feel, Hey, you know, we're, we're a one or two seed in our minds and we're ready to, to compete, uh, you know, as far as we can, as far as we can go. So, I, I mean, I think it's been great what they, what they did and, and now it'll, it'll just have to carry over in a, in a different, different way um, against a much, much different team. Sherelle, uh, how do you feel like confidence might be pushing this team or at least bringing more out of these guys than we've seen before? Um, <clears throat> let's go back to 2014. There is a team who has a good amount of talent, and we, we've argued about that back and forth over the course of the year. Uh, this is 2013, 2014. Uh, they underachieved in a regular season, actually cut an L to UNC. Um, didn't even perform well down the stretch. But in the tournament, you know, Coach Smith always says you build your momentum in the tournament. They won a couple of close games, and the Kentucky 2014 team got all the way to the national championship game as an eight seed. Uh, after beating the one seed, which, uh, Wichita State, which is a, just a really tremendous game. Can't believe that's been eight years ago. Um, but you've you've seen how uh, teams who are talented 
and maybe have underachieved can get on a run. And when the confidence starts going, it's hard to stop because what can you tell this North Carolina team? What scenario can you put them in where they say, well, we can't do this. Mm -hmm. I mean, you know, they going all the way back to Louisville, winning in that environment, winning at Clemson, you know, winning five ACC road games in a row, winning in coach K's last ever game, uh, the way they beat Virginia in a poor, a poor offensive performance. Um, and then the way they beat Marquette and the way they beat Baylor um, and then lost to Baylor and then beat Baylor again. Uh, so I think that is the biggest thing is that Hubert Davis now has more ammunition to use. Um, he, he can fill his clip up and say, look, you know, there's nothing you can't do because I, I've seen you do it. I've seen you um, <clears throat> get blown out. And obviously we don't want that to happen again, but you know what that felt like and you know how to prevent that. I've seen you dominate one of the best teams in the country twice in the last two weeks. So I know you can do it. Uh, so when you have that kind of momentum, you have that kind of confidence and the coaches have that kind of ammunition, it is tough to stop. Now, can Carolina survive a situation where, you know, Brady Manick goes three of 12 and Caleb Love goes four of 15 and RJ Davis goes two of 10. We'll see. Um, I'm not going to say they can't because there's no way I would have said Caleb Love had five points and they were up by 30 some points against uh, almost 30 points against Baylor. So they can find ways to win. And I think that's the most important thing is that they've shown different ways to win games. And now that they've done that is again, that, that confidence is hard to stop. So um, UCLA is going to be a tough game, though. Let's, let's not act like, you know, smooth sailing into the Final Four for UNC because uh, that variant seems to be gone, uh, but it showed up a little bit against Baylor, and they just happened to have a big enough cushion to withstand it and win in overtime. But uh, we'll, we'll see. I, I think a confident bunch um, is going to Philadelphia, and that's tough to stop. Man, I got a little chill when you when you said what you said about uh, about the variant seems to be gone. Um, <laughs> I know the basketball guys don't like that. All right, Sean, this is your moment. This is what you you what you have lived to do is is help this North Carolina team uh, or help fans of this North Carolina team uh, prepare and and preview a game against UCLA. They'll be playing on Friday in Philadelphia against UCLA. The, the Bruins come in twenty seven and seven. Uh, runner-up uh, were they runner-up or they uh did they semi-final semi-final loss game. that's right um last year uh, after UCLA was you know in a play-in game last year and got all the way to the, to the finals um but UCLA uh coming out of the pack uh, pack 12 10 14 whatever number it is uh their starters right now Jaime Jaquez Tiger Campbell who had a phenomenal game um against St. Mary's I think he finished with 20 points or so um Johnny Juzang, former uh, Kentucky transfer, Jules Bernard, and Cody Riley. Uh, Sean, just give us kind of a quick once-over of Mick Cronin's team and, and what Tar Heel fans and Inside Carolina listeners can, can expect from, from this matchup next week. Sure. And, you know, for, for UCLA, a lot of these guys haven't been in L.A. for six, six years now. You know, I saw a lot in high school, uh, just in the area, going, going to their games before they had committed to UCLA. So pretty familiar with these guys, uh, you just rattled off the starters. They go, you know, nine deep, uh, but a, a real strong focus on the on the top five. Um, very talented offensively, uh, and McCronin has them playing a, a very strong defensive style. I think from you know last year, if you remember their tournament run, uh, you know it felt like Cronin was uh, almost orchestrating every possession, both from an offensive and defensive standpoint. Offensively, to get Juzang and Hawk was, you know, good, good looks. Uh, and then defensively, just really, you know, stimming the opponent, slowing it, slowing it down, <laughs> slowing the game down, et cetera. And I think he could try to go back to that uh, a little bit more. I think this year, for the most part, they're not an up-tempo team, but he's been letting them play. But I think knowing UNC's talent, I could see him trying to script, script it, slow it down, uh, one shot, et cetera. But UCLA offensively, they got four players scoring in double figures. Juzang's obviously the big name. I think Leakey will start on him. Hawkwes got a little banged up against St. Mary's, but that's going to be, he's really, I'd say, the, the, the throttle that makes them go uh, because in their losses early in the year, they got beat real bad by Gonzaga, and they tried to go to him early against Drew Timmy. He was just a little too small because uh, he, he likes to get the ball uh, deep bring it into the post and hit a little five, seven footer. So that matchup versus Manic is going to be huge. You mentioned Tyre Campbell, very solid 
point guard. Uh, he's actually shooting over 40% from three. So, you know, for him, I, you know, I would imagine RJ would, would start on him, but that'll be a, a really important matchup. And then another guy who's been playing really well, Jules Bernard, uh, is their shooting guard. And, and I think over the last eight games, he's been in double figures. Uh, he's shooting about almost 50% from three in those games. So Caleb Love, I would imagine, will be on him. So that'll be a key matchup. And then you got Cody Riley, who I feel like I watched in AAU back in 2013. <laughs> <laughs> he was playing with like Steven Zimmerman and, and Ivan Rabb and those guys because he was so old as a freshman. So he's playing a 17, <laughs> 17U uh, early on. But, you know, he's going to be kind of the muscle uh, that, that'll try to slow down Baycott, I'm sure, with some double teams. And then off the bench, you have Miles Johnson transfer from Rutgers. Hasn't gotten a lot of playing time lately, but I think – We'll probably see more of him, uh, top 50 in block percentage. So yeah. I could see them trying to give the size. And then, you know, you've got you've got Clark. Uh, he's kind of like a jackknife, 6'5", 6'6", but strong athletic. He had a really good stretch uh, kind of towards the end of the Pac-12 play where double figures, six, seven rebounds a game. And then the last two, Peyton Watson, projected lottery pick coming in, hasn't played a lot, but he's been given some energy minutes off the bench. He's long and, and lanky. And then uh, David Singleton, who's a guy who hasn't really done a lot, but I, I do kind of worry about him being the guy that, you know, comes in and all of a sudden he knocks down, you know, three, three, he's a guy that is scoring nine or 12 points and hitting three or four threes because he's another 40% shooter. So that's a very, <laughs> that's my rundown on UCLA. I think it'll, you know, they're going to try to slow it, slow it down, run their offensive sets um, and, and limit UNC to, to one shot. but. I think this, you know, this will be a fun matchup and I'm glad it didn't happen earlier in the year um, and that, you know, both teams are, are starting fresh. Yeah, this this UCLA squad, they're not as um, I don't think they're as prolific as folks are usually used to seeing. Um, like you said, they have a, a lot of guys that um, that can't hurt you. And they're similar when, with their scoring distribution to what UNC saw from Baylor. You know, like you said, four guys that average in the teens and points. Um, I think Miles Johnson, as you pointed out, is a really, a really wild card. I mean, he's their he's their rim protector. Um, yeah, I think you, you mentioned his top fifty in in block percentage. He's a he's he's probably going to be uh, a bit he's of an six, equalizer. Six ten. Yeah, big, Sean, big why do you, why do you think he's not playing more? Any any ideas? I mean, I think he, he does have a propensity for for picking up foul trouble. Um, but I also think we've seen UCLA start to start to go small um as well where where sometimes you have Hakwas playing center uh which they tried to do against Akron a little bit when they were really you know really struggling down five seven points um and now you have really five shooters out on the floor um so I think you know once again he hasn't played a lot but I think I think he could be a guy that they're looking to you know to get some strong bench minutes from on Friday night. Sherelle uh UCLA four seed you know we've we saw, I, think, I feel like the listening audience for this show probably saw more of UCLA last year, especially since the you know, previously scheduled game with North Carolina was, was changed this year to Kentucky. How do you feel like North Carolina matches up against this UCLA squad? The only time I actually watched them, I watched um, the Arizona game in the Pac-12 conference, and then um, I watched a random Arizona State game. And uh, the thing <laughs> I know, the that thing a, that, no, I remember that that was a, uh, an FS1 special. Yes, yeah, I it was. It was <laughs> I, don't, I don't know why I was watching that. It was life. Um, but the thing that jumped out to me is that they seemed like a team at that time who was just kind of coasting. Um, and I, I don't mean that in a bad way. What I mean is they've, they've kind of been to the mountaintop, so to speak. And it's like there's nothing in the regular season that really can can grab their attention because it's so far away. It's, it's very monotonous playing Arizona State on a random Thursday night in February. Like, who gets up for that game? But I think what they have is championship-level experience from last year. Um, and if Hawkwes is, is healthy, um, they have a bunch of dudes who have made huge plays the last two marches. I mean, even – Tiger Campbell against Akron. Some of those shots that he made to keep them from losing to Akron mm -hmm. were, you know, pretty phenomenal. So I think more than anything, they, they have that going for them. And North Carolina, uh, you know, they've got two two tournament wins, but uh, the experience of UCLA, I think, could be a factor just because they have really been um, in every situation the last two seasons. And 
um, we're, we're just that close to, you know, playing for a national championship. Uh, so you, you can't discount that. Um, and we'll see if it manifests itself at all on Friday. Well, game time has still not been announced as we are recording this on a Sunday. Uh, but we do know that the Tar Heels will be playing the Bruins in Philadelphia on Friday. So uh, I guess keep your eyes peeled for that probably by the time this posts or at least by the time you were listening to this or it gets to your feed, maybe they've announced the game. So uh, stick around for that. Boys, anything else that y'all want to talk about um, NCAA tournament related or anything regarding this uh, North Carolina basketball run that, that we're all on right now? Uh, Shrell, is there anything that I, that I have glossed over today? Because there's so much. I would just say, can you imagine North Carolina ever losing to a 15 seed? Nah. Mm-mm. Nope. Never me. I mean, it's been, there's lots of 14, but but never 15 or 16 for mm. that matter. So yeah. uh, that's, that's that's tough. I, I, would, I wouldn't know what that's like. Um, Sean, what about you, man? Is there anything you feel like we need to we need to make sure that we confront before we get out of here today? No, I think I think we're good. I mean, for for UCLA, I'll, I'll probably lose my mind if we see uh, Ju Zhang uh, out, of, out of bounds in, or out of bounds play under the basket if he gets one of those curl mid range jump shots, uh, either going to the right or the left. So hopefully, uh, that's a that's a focus. But uh, you know, I work with a lot of UCLA people. I live not, <laughs> not too far from the campus. It'll be be fun to to play that game, and I think it'll you know it, it does, won't have the athleticism length talent that even a Marquette or Baylor did, but from a skill uh, and just more matchups and gameplay perspective, I think it'll be a very uh, intriguing game, but it, it's great that we're talking about it and we're not giving a, a postmortem to the season uh, and that there is, you know, one more, you know, at least one more weekend of basketball left. Yeah. Hey, we got, we got more games to talk about. What's up, Shrell? Hey, Sean, a question. What, what would you do matchup wise? Just, just walk us through that defensively for UNC. Which assignment would you yeah. give the which player? I mean, I'd, I'd play fairly standard with with RJ on Tiger, Caleb on on Bernard, just because of the size. Bernard's 6'4", six, 6'5", six, so the size. But I could see maybe they try to flip it where, you know, you have Caleb on on Tiger. But I, I think it'll be RJ on, on Tiger, Caleb on uh, Bernard, just, you know, and, and that will be a key matchup because once again, going back to the Kentucky game, Calipari was just saying, Hey, run, run love around some screens and, and he'll lose interest. We've seen a lot more focus and better approach, but, you know, making some difficult shots, you put leaky on, on Juzang. Uh, you know, he hasn't, he's been solid. He hasn't maybe lived up to what he did in the tournament, but he obviously has that ability to, to go off. Um, and, you know, they're going to try to, post him, pick and roll, get him open shots, but, you know, put Leaky on him, Manic on Hawkwes, that'll, that'll be a, a big one. I mean, I think for that, Hawkwes isn't going to explode by him. He's, he is going to try to post him up and unders, maybe get him in foul trouble. So that, that'll be a key, you know, a key matchup. And then Armando on, on Riley. Um, and I think just make sure Armando stays, stays out of foul trouble and doesn't pick up any, you know, any, any of those guys flopping offensively. So he's got to be careful when he lowers that shoulder sometimes, but uh, you know, if he can, if he can stay in the game, you know, I feel confident in what Carolina can hopefully do. Yeah, Sean, I got you earlier. I, I, I do get a big Greg Oden vibe from Cody Riley, not necessarily the, in his, in his game, but just that the man feels like a, an elder, if you know what I mean. I mean, he was 17 as a freshman. Uh, and once he, I mean, that was, you know, some of those names I listed diamonds, you know, I'll have to go back and, and double check, but you know, diamond stone, Henry Ellenson, like I remember Sacramento EYBL, like <laughs> way back, way back in the day. Well, we appreciate the insight, man. Um, I, I can't, this is, this has been fun. I didn't expect that we would be having this podcast today. I knew we would have a show, but I knew it would be this content. So, Hey, we got another week out of it, and uh, it'll be fun to see what happens this coming week. Tar Heels playing UCLA in Philadelphia as they move on to the round of 16. Didn't expect we'd be here, but I do want to give you guys credit. And, you know, uh, Sean, you, you stress patience. Sherelle, you've said all along that, that this North Carolina team was talented and they're starting to bear fruit. Matter of fact, when you came on the radio show Saturday, you were uh, cautiously optimistic. I think you said the optimism was, was simmering, so... It's a, it was a good match. It really was a good matchup. Like I, I even I think there was fear from North Carolina to even say that to put it in the atmosphere. But <laughs> when you when you when you started to dig down into the numbers, this Baylor team just wasn't scary. They're good. Don't get me wrong, but they weren't scary like last year's team. And mm-hmm. 
the you start looking at the, the people they lost and their profile and just it was like oh they they could actually do this so that that's where that optimism came from well it's it, whether whether you hesitated to speak it into existence or not it happened and i know inside carolina subscribers and listeners of this show are excited about it but boys thank you so much for joining us a little early today we're going to get this out to the people because it's what they want uh, so we'll get this out a little earlier than usual and maybe they'll enjoy it and as much as they've enjoyed this past week of basketball from the Tar Heels. But thank you to Johnny T-Shirt for sponsoring. Thanks to John Siegley for producing. For Sean Moran, way out there on the left coast. For Sherelle McMillan, not far away from the triangle down there in, in Happy Dappy Concord. I'm Joey Powell. This has been Inside Carolina's Coast to Coast podcast. We will talk to you very soon. Late. What's up, y'all? This is four-time NBA champ Andre Iguodala. Yo, and this is his best friend, the Ohio State legend, Evan Marcel Turner the first. Every Wednesday, we drop a new episode on our show, Point Four. We're talking basketball, business, and all the culture in between. From locker room stories to some basketball analysis from those who've been in the game. Now, it is a do-bet. Do average 29 and 11. God, shit. what'd it take to be an all-star? A win. Subscribe to Point Four, the podcast, so you don't miss a thing.